good friend of mine. Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me in our studio today is my co-pilot, Lil Baron. Hey, Mr. Case. Lil Baron. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Yeah, the end of the year is coming yeah. up and we've got holidays and lots of parties and meals and yeah. tasty things. And speak, <laughs> speaking of tasty things. Oh, when, good. When you, yeah, I know. I know. I think you'll like this one. Okay. I hope you'll like okay. this one. This one, this one is, uh, I think you'll like it. But I do have a question. When you go to the like build your own burrito places, and there's a lot of them, yeah. you know, Chipotle yeah. or here in Utah, we've got the Cafe Rio mm -hmm. and all those different places. Do you generally ask for pinto <coughs> beans or black beans? Black. You do black. So okay. I that's what I like as yeah. well. I had an opportunity, as you know, Lil, to live for a couple of years in Brazil. Yes. That's like a staple all around the world, but certainly in Brazil uh -huh. as well. So I always get black beans as kind of reminiscent of my good times there yes. in Brazil. But the good news is that black beans actually have some surprising health benefits oh. that I think we should all consider. Uh, so, you know, the, the question of, are, is this healthy or not healthy, which right. we tried to ask last week well, yes. when we talked about Coke versus Diet Coke. I think <laughs> yes. we knew the, we knew the answer to both yes. of those questions. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about black beans. And uh, the fact is that experts agree that as long as there are no sensitivities or allergies, that really black beans are definitely something that should be on your shopping list. And if it's wow. not on there, you ought to put it on there. There are many great benefits to eating black beans. They're inexpensive. Uh -huh. They're accessible. They're a culturally diverse food that serves up long lasting carbohydrates, fiber, protein, healthy fats, all good things, oh. all the things that we need and want in our diet. Uh, according to dietitian, registered dietitian, Tessa Nugent, uh, she says, I also like that they come in a variety of forms that can make it easy to incorporate into any meal whether you have time to cook them from dry or you only have 90 seconds to heat up a ready-made package <laughs> in a microwave or even 10 seconds to open the can in a can <laughs> opener. The options are endless, she says, when it comes to cooking and uses as well. Other experts say that black beans are a nutritional powerhouse, but that they're also a great budget-friendly option for those who want to eat nutritiously while being mindful of the increasing grocery prices. <laughs> which are going on as, uh, even as we speak, right? Mm -hmm. Additionally, though, some people may be concerned about phytic acid, lectins, or tannins, which are known as anti-nutrients, and they are found to some degree mm. in beans. Um, these are uh, substances that are said to lower the absorption of some of the nutrients. The experts say that the mm -hmm. process of cooking and soaking the beans can help remove the questionable stuff and keep all the benefits intact. So I had never heard that about beans before, but apparently it, you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So I'm just going to forget that I ever heard right? anything about it. <laughs> um, like lentils and other legumes, black beans have a ton of health benefits. Black mm -hmm. beans provide about half the recommended amount of daily fiber per cup. Oh, wow. So that's good. That's uh, impressive considering less than 10% of Americans consume enough fiber daily. Oh. We're not getting enough fiber uh, in our diets. Yeah. Uh, they also contain both soluble and insoluble fiber, which is great for reducing cholesterol, improving heart health, supporting good gut health, and keeping the digestive tract moving. Black beans contain a class of antioxidants called uh, anthocyanins that give them their dark color and help support brain health oh. and also lower the risk for heart disease and diabetes. Black beans have also got flavonoids that are associated with reducing inflammation oh. and chronic disease risks. So all kinds yeah. of good things that are going on there. 
They also contain resistant starches, which bypass digestion in the upper digestive tract, and that stops the beans from being broken down into simple sugar, and then it lowers the response to glucose. So this means that more blood glucose control uh, is in place when consuming things like black beans. That's according to the experts. And additionally, black beans are a great source of plant protein. They also contain high amounts of iron and uh, magnesium. Uh, They also, uh, the experts suggest pairing black beans with vitamin C, which is easy to do because uh, tomatoes have Mm -hmm. a lot of vitamin C. So if you put that in your salsa, in your uh, burrito, Mm -hmm. uh, that's good for you. That also, what that does is it enhances the iron absorption and it maximizes the benefits. And again, there's just a million ways to eat uh, black beans. You can cook them from dried, Mm -hmm. which will require some soaking and then cooking the beans in Mm -hmm. advance. It does take some time, but a quicker and equally as delicious option is to opt for the canned beans. And Mm -hmm. I talked about earlier, many cultures serve a bowl of beans and rice as a main entree or alongside other dishes. Mm -hmm. And it just balances out the meal. Uh, A lot of people put them in soups or stews, curry Mm -hmm. mixed in with rice or in a salad. And uh, you can switch out your refried beans and your tacos or your Mm -hmm. burritos. Um, And then you can add black beans to either sweet or savory dishes, or you can try them whole or mash them up. There's just a ton of different ways to eat them. And they're so good for you. So I did one thing, right? More than one. Come on, more than one, but I'll give you, I'll give you black beans. That's a, that's a good one. So uh, as we're coming into this holiday season where we tend to eat a lot. Yes. Include some black beans. Right. It's good for you. Yeah. Today's guest yes. is a longtime friend of the games and a huge advocate for women in sports, specifically soccer. Mm-hmm. She's also a repeat guest on the show. Welcome to Brandy Mitchell. Yes. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. So uh, pinto beans or black beans? <laughs> I agree with the black beans. Yeah. I have to yeah. say. Yeah, that's, that's what I usually go with yeah. as well. So. And I have to say I am plant-based. So, which you don't oh. see as often uh, in athletes, in recreational athletes, it may be a little different, but I know um, the knowledge around being vegan or plant-based um, and being an athlete is, uh, it's starting to grow. There's a lot more information out there, but, but yeah, is, so black is. beans are part of my everyday life for sure. Yeah, there is some research out there. Um, I am not plant-based. Entirely. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that there are some tremendous benefits, not only to individuals, but to society as a whole. And so it's definitely one, uh, one something to consider. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's just don't, be, don't be afraid right of it. That's, it. Whether or not it sounds like a good idea, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. I, I like okay. that. I am yes. like that. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, I talked a little bit in your, your intro just briefly about um, some of the things that you've done, but, but I'm just scratching the surface. There's so many great things. Tell us a little bit about how you got into soccer specifically. I, I mean, that's kind of the thing that you've really embraced and ran with, but how did you get into it initially? Is it something that you did as a young woman or did you pick it up later on in life? Right. So I was fortunate enough to have Title IX uh, just a few years before I was born. So I was born in 76 and in 1972, we had Title IX, which gave um, specifically around education, girls equal opportunity for boys. And that that led into sports requiring, uh, again, equal opportunities. So for me, uh, and this was around the time in the early 80s that AYSO soccer was big. Um, and soccer historically is not a U.S. sport, right? So right. when it came, it started really as a youth sport and eventually developed into an adult sport here. So for for me growing up, I played soccer and softball and field hockey and volleyball and just a variety because I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. 
there was no question about it. Girls were doing this and, and I was actually in a family of four girls. So we all chose our sports and went with it. My dad coached, my mom coached, my mom did play soccer um, as an adult. So, and it had, she had grown up with, you know, only drill team. That was all she had ever been yeah. allowed to do. So, so I saw the example of not only the limitation of, you know, being a woman and not having had opportunity, but also for my age group, full opportunity and what yeah. it looked like to be able to just, you know, you went to school, you went to soccer or you went to, you know, whatever sport it was. So for me growing up with it, uh, I have a little bit of a view of both, but uh, now, you know, fast forward to playing in high school, ended up going to a university that didn't have a sports program at all. So it wasn't an option to play college sports. Um, there were a few schools I've been considering, but, but went specifically for one that had a, a program in international studies. And, and again, it was a really small school it was a graduate school that had a, a undergrad program. So, uh, Fast forward again, I had two kids. Uh, I was about 27 years old and found out there was a women's soccer program living when I was living down in San Diego and found out that I get to just get back on the field, right? <laughs> Starting at age five, ending at age 17. And all of a sudden at 27, I could get my cleats back on, my shin guards and, and go for it. And it was the best. Thank goodness that friend pointed me in that direction. Um, and I'll say, you know, the reason that I didn't know about it all, you know, during my 20s, is just that information wasn't very available about, you know, recreational sports, at least in Southern California, it wasn't well known that you could join a women's soccer team. Uh, and so what I did, and this leads into why San Diego soccer women exists, is that I made a website that's just started showing where can you play soccer as a woman in San Diego County. And that over the years uh, ended up developing into social media. And that's how you found out about me and I found out about <laughs> yeah. you and we all ended up getting connected. So yeah, that's, that's kind awesome. of the, the long and short of my story. Now you yeah. now you started the organization San Diego Soccer Women, and right. um, sounds like you started it just as kind of a, a clearinghouse for information. But really, you've been able to have an impact on the sport of soccer, especially for adult women. Much, I mean, far beyond the borders of the city of San Diego. I know that you've traveled internationally and you've worked with teams from all around the world. And uh, you know what a what a great opportunity and what a great time to to live where you can make yeah. that that impact and exactly. uh, provide opportunities for, for women of all ages to enjoy an amazing sport, which yeah. is, which is soccer. Yeah. Right. Right. And a sport that's surprisingly, you know, having grown up with it, isn't as popular as you would think for, for adults, partly because of how much uh, like impact there is. Right. I mean, you are yeah. running at full speed, you you're heading the ball, you're hitting into each other, you're pushing each other off the ball safely right legally uh, so so it is a sport that i think in general you wouldn't expect to see older people and we'll say older people generally i mean for me that's like 60 and older for some people that may be 50 and older um but when we look around society and see what it looks like to be an older person um it it really is you know there aren't many images of being a, and a soccer athlete or being an athlete in general and maybe you see some track and field uh, maybe you see you know swimming right but team sports and sports that, again, have a lot of um, kind of impact with one another, that's something that's just less often often seen. And so for me, when I started playing and realized over the years that there were leagues with women playing into their 80s, and, and this is every week year round that they meet up with their team, they play a full game, and, and this has become an identity for them because they grew up again without this opportunity at all. So having San Diego soccer women, I, I don't have any league of my own. There isn't one, one kind of group of women. It really is an overall umbrella where, as you mentioned, advocacy is a big thing talking about both gender equality and age equality um, and inclusion in general. So we want to see that 
you know, we in the in this older women's soccer, I'll say industry, there's a lot of representation of what we call soccer grannies or grandma soccer or soccer moms, right? And and I've really worked hard to try to strip the the maternal side of it, strip away the family dynamic part of it, because the truth is women are women, whether you have children or not, whether you're a grandparent or not, the fact that you're older doesn't automatically make you a grandma. Uh, And and across cultures, that's often um, a little bit harder to communicate. But it's something that's important to me that we don't uh, we don't then take the fact that you're a woman and, and automatically assume that you're a mother or grandmother. And, and there are leagues in other countries that require you to be a mother in order to play oh, soccer yeah. with them. Um, and that's something, again, I've had to really work hard advocating and respecting other cultures while also and, and especially like you mentioned, traveling to other areas, uh, respecting what they believe in, but also, you know, offering this other alternative that that you really, as a woman, can simply be defined as a woman and athlete in one breath and not have to extend it to, to how your, your, your family representation is. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, that's not something I uh, am aware of, but, uh, but you're so right. And I, and I also yeah. just, you said it, but just to emphasize that an athlete is an athlete as well. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't I, matter age or gender or identity or anything. If you want to get out there and do the thing that you want to do, the sport that you want to play, the activity that you want to compete in, it's available to you and you just right. need to find a way to, to embrace it. And uh, Brandy, you've been a phenomenal advocate for that all along the way. Now you mentioned that you weren't able to play um, soccer in college, but that's not a hundred percent true, right? Cause didn't you have an opportunity <laughs> to come back? You had a few years of eligibility and you came back and played a little college, right. game, didn't you? Right. Surprisingly uh, <laughs> not having played in college ended up being a huge benefit. And, and there's actually two sides to that. One is a lot of women my age. So again, forties, maybe into fifties because they played college soccer with such intensity they often are in a place now physically that whether it's hips or knees, um, concussions, or even just being burned out of the sport, a lot of them aren't playing anymore, aren't playing recreational women's soccer um, in the over 40, over 30, or, you know, even over thirties because of that. And so for me to have this opportunity, one reason is because I didn't wear my body out by playing from, you know, ages 18, all the way through again, 27 or so I had this, this big break that I wasn't doing wear and tear on my body quite as much. But again, yes, the concept of eligibility. So I had uh, been in touch with one of the local community college coaches um, who had been recommended to me asking if I could advertise the class for the women's recreational soccer community, because there was a lot of there were a lot of requests I was getting just for training. And I thought, you know, community college is public. It's open to anyone. It's affordable. Maybe it would be okay if I get some uh, local women at whatever age to come in and do training. Uh, and and she agreed to it, but I ended up being the only one to sign up. So yeah. last <laughs> summer, um, I ended up, you know, being this this forty five year old at the time, forty five year old woman joining a class of eighteen year olds, and and I was just in it for the training. So summer, you know, wore on. It was hot. We were training. I was learning. It was fabulous. And then I found out that the actual team was struggling to get enough players. Um, they had a lot of women who were new to soccer, or you know, had only had a little bit of experience, and the coach you know, a- agreed, but also, you know, kind of asked within, if I'd be willing to stay on. <laughs> within uh, the NCAA guidelines, she recruited you to the team, sat right, down in yeah. the living room, recruited you to the team. <laughs> right. <laughs> Randy, that's, a, that's amazing. And it, you actually it, had the opportunity to play at the same time that your son was playing. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. So there I was, I officially had my uniform, had my team oh. number, was out there. My first game, I was thinking, 
oh no, I hope it gets canceled, right? I can't do this. <laughs> and I even told the coach that the entire season, the reason I made it through is because every day I would tell myself I can quit whenever I want. I don't have to do this. <laughs> and, and mind you, I had to be enrolled in college full-time. So I already had my degree, but I had to take full-time. Plus I was still working full-time, you know, doing the actual oh, wow. class, the training. Uh, and then yes, my son, who's a freshman at the same school, he had been playing water polo, polo uh, during high school. So we ended up, you know, he made the team for water polo. I made the team for soccer and we could hear each other. I could hear the whistle of the water polo game. He could hear the whistle of my game uh, just right nearby there on the college campus. And it was fabulous. And, and of course the big picture is that my son, but also because it hit the news uh, became aware of the fact that women can be strong and capable in age groups that you wouldn't expect it. And also taking the risk. I mean, it was, I, I could have really been embarrassed and uncomfortable and injured. And, and I, I knew I trusted myself, right. I trusted myself at age 45 that I was going to be able to handle what I was getting myself into. And I think again, for my son and my daughter and, and uh, just public That's viewers, so many, many that was a lesson people. that I think yes. we don't see often enough. Yeah, that is so amazing. That is so cool, Brandy. Like, congratulations! Yeah. On that. Thank you. And, uh, it was a blast. Again, what a huge, huge impact! Yeah. In a very, very positive way. Um, I do want to focus in a little bit on that phenomenon that you talked about, where for the sixty-five and up women, they just never had an opportunity, and so they're jumping into the sport as adults, and in some cases, even as older adults. Um, for those in your generation and my generation who maybe did have an opportunity, you're talking about, you know, bad knees and hips and injuries and things like that. Um, what are you seeing out there in the soccer community? Are, are we going to see a, a, a break where we've got the older generations and then the younger generation is not filling in the next gap? Or are they finding ways to work through some of the challenges? I wish I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I also hope to really, you know, be actually an influence in what's going to happen. So it's absolutely true that we're seeing specifically in the women's recreational soccer community, and that's nationwide. So I'm in touch with league directors and players and um, some facility managers across the country and talking about what are you seeing in your women's soccer community and, and it really is true that we're, we're finding this kind of wave of uh, participation that's changing. And I've heard from women who've been around, a lot of our leagues have been around for 45 years, as long as I've been born, or I've been, uh, I've been alive, alive yeah. right, right. Um, that, that there have been waves of changes in, you know, age groups and levels, but this seems to be pretty extreme. And for the women that I speak with and that I work with who are aged, again, 65, 75 into their 80s, they started playing soccer when they were in their maybe 30s, 40s, when they're, and we're looking at Title IX, this is when their daughters or nieces or granddaughters had just started playing. Uh, and so they were exposed to it. They were able to put together leagues and, and get playing. But so they may have 30 or 40 years, but again, we're looking at fresh bodies for that first 30 or 40 years, uh, you know, before they had started soccer. So we're seeing a little dip in even the 50s. So there may be really strong participation between 35 and 45. And then we see it kind of flow down a little. And these are the women who, again, with Title IX would have been playing most of their lives. And, and one positive thing is there's so much, at least in Southern California, there's so much soccer available. So a lot of the women I play with can play seven days a week without a problem. You know, they may have arena league, they may have futsal, then they also have their outdoor so it's, it's a good problem to have that maybe we're not seeing as much participation in any one league, 
because there are so many different opportunities to play. Right. right. And in addition, there are other sports, right? Again, like I said, I grew up playing four or five different sports that I could get out there now and just enjoy because I have enough information about how the game works. And, you know, my body will remember how to play those sports. And so some women just go to different, different sports, but also we have things like CrossFit and yoga, uh, spin cycle, right there. Again, Southern California, there's so much activity. And and I think this is true nationwide, whether, whether you have seasons like ours in San Diego, which is pretty much, we can be outside year round (laughs) or you have indoor facilities that in the end, uh, maybe soccer has been their love for, you know, all of their lives, but they also find other, these other sports and activities that they enjoy. So my concern really is, is, is my body. And this is again, women in their forties, even into their fifties, is my body going to be able to continue at the level that I feel comfortable with in sports until I'm in my seventies and eighties, the way I see women playing now. And I don't know the answer yet. I think it's really up to us learning how to be, you know, moderating our activity, but also really keeping strong stretching. Um, I know you do a lot of podcasts, conversations about, you know, in addition to training for your one sport, what else should you be doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially women, right. With bone density, you want to be lifting weights, uh, you know, doing, some of those muscle uh, strengthening activities, but again, stretching. So it feels like it's a little bit of a choice whether or not people, my women, my age are going to continue on into older age, but at the same time, our bodies are going to tell us what we're capable of. And we have to, to learn how to moderate enough to not get burned out with it. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. That was my next question. And I know that there's, we don't know yet. There's, there's still lots to play out, but in, in the conversations that you're having, is it more, is it more injuries and my body is broken down and I'm unable to do the things that I want to do? Or is it like, man, I just, I just got burned out. I used to love it. And then I just burned myself out on it. And I don't know if I even like it anymore. Right, Are you right. a difference there? Or? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite stories is talking to women who were in one of our local, they'd started one of our local leagues again, over 40 years ago. And they said, you know, you had one game per week. You were new to the sport. You loved it. You, ha- you brought your kids, everybody watch each other's kids. If you were breastfeeding, you would do it on the sidelines and then you'd yeah. put the baby down and get back on the field, right? The commitment was there because you didn't have much as much access to it, right? And it, it felt so powerful compared to what the rest of your life looked like. And, and so the answer, looking at women right now, uh, who again, may have played their whole lives, it's not only a matter of getting burned out or not getting burned out, you know, having the opportunity or not. Another element is the level of play is so much stronger now with women who played most of their lives than women who would have just started, you know, within the past 10, 20 years, even Uh, the skill level, the footwork, the strength. And so I see more and more that there's this bigger divide between women who are highly experienced, especially when they're former college players who are coming back into it, highly experienced, Mm -hmm. highly skilled and then women who are just more recreational and casual and enjoying their time out there. And that actually makes it a little more challenging on both sides, right? When you play, you really want to play at the level that you're comfortable with. And when we have uh, women in their 50s who don't even necessarily move up into the next age division because they're comfortable playing even in the 40s, right? You know, with that skill level, you may be able to play down a division and stay completely competitive. And that's where we're seeing also some of our age groups shifting because women may not be going up into that next age. Yeah, they're not advancing. Right, right. So I think it's always a, a mixed uh, a mixed conversation about why it's happening. And, and even the concept of women, who, the women who do have children, that they may have been having children later in life compared to prior generations and also caregiving just in general, right? It may be siblings, it may be parents. We still see that women... Uh, 
bear the burden of caregiving just in general. And so in addition to workload and and looking at the different demographics of who plays recreational women's soccer, you know, you're going to see more middle class than anything else, but there still is that balancing act that we talk about so much. And, and it's, you know, it's one thing to say work, you know, the work family balance, but what's the work family sports balance that we all Mm -hmm. want. Uh, And in addition, again, to keeping your body healthy and strong and all that. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot to consider. Yeah, and it'll definitely be interesting to watch it play out. But one thing I know is that we want to be a part of that conversation here at the games, and I know that you will be there as well, Brandy. Mm-hmm. You, you've had such an impact on the sport, and uh, as we said, the advocacy for women across the board. So thank you. That's all the time that we have to visit today, but we want to have you back sometime yes. to continue this conversation. <laughs> Sounds really, great. Yeah, really there's so many topics to cover. Thank yeah. you for yeah. having me. I love it. Well, thank you and best of luck in uh, everything that you have going on. I know it's a lot, and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll definitely be in touch. So does that make you want to go out and play soccer? <laughs> I played it once or twice. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay if you don't, or it's okay if you do. Maybe no. maybe bocce is your thing still. Yes, that's totally girl. fine. Like that's, that's what's great about the games, right? right? There are just so many options that are available. Absolutely. So. A couple of things just to wrap us up here. Uh, if you haven't yet, go visit our website, seniorgames.net. All of our results are there. You can get a, a look at how things went this year, but mm-hmm. you can also kind of get a peek for what you're looking at as far as competition for upcoming years. <laughs> right. So uh, keep your eye on that, seniorgames.net. We've also got a bunch of different videos mm-hmm. that showcase how the games played out, as well as just uh, give you an idea of what yeah. the games are all about if you're not familiar with them. So once again, seniorgames.net. We want to remind you to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We take this live show and turn it into a podcast and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere that you find your favorite podcasts. Uh, And then, of course, you can find this as well as previous shows right on our website. Once again, that is SeniorGames.net. So check that out. Today's inspirational thought is by Alice Morse Earl. And she says, every day may not be good, but there is something good in every day. Until next Thursday, stay active.